Jonah chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 10 here in just a minute. Last week, you will remember we left off with Jonah speaking to the sailors, particularly the captain who had asked a bunch of questions of him, who had found Jonah asleep in the depths of the ship. He woke Jonah up and said, why are you sleeping? What do you mean by sleeping? Asked him to give an account. You know, I think he used the term, what do you mean, sleeper? At that point, Jonah did give an account, and he proclaimed, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, Jehovah, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this answer caused the sailors to be afraid. And that's where we'll pick up here in verse 10 of Jonah chapter 1. We'll read verses 10 through 12. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to them, What shall we do? that the sea may be calm for us, for the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. These men were exceedingly afraid, and, and rightfully so. They were encountering God in a very direct manner, a very real manner, a very physical matter, uh, in this, this account, this temptuous sea that they were in the midst of. And at times we see men encountering God, and it's a direct and direct conflict oftentimes to their own pride, their arrogance, or even their ignorance at times. And we'll go to turn to Daniel chapter 5, and we'll see a, another example of somebody who encounters God in a, in a very direct way. Um, Belshazzar, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall here, uh, just proceeding where we'll pick up in Daniel chapter 5. But again, this, this storm that these sailors were in was something that was very intentional by God. We reread a couple of weeks ago that this was something that God sent out. He hurled it out, and he did it for a purpose. As we'll see here shortly, he did it as an opportunity for these sailors to come to know him, and he did it as an opportunity for Jonah to realize that he couldn't outmaneuver God's plan, his will, and his purposes. And Daniel 5, verse 6 says, Then the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosed, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud, bringing in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, and his countenance changed, and his lords were astonished. Completely irrelevant and probably not important, but I, I smile when I read the reward that's going to be given to these who can interpret it is to be the third ruler. Now, if it were me, I would have lobbied for a higher position than number three. Um, but Belshazzar himself was number two, so he wasn't going to give away that spot. But he's, he's saying here... I need to know what this means. I don't understand it. And if you tell me, I'm going to reward you with these material things and then a place of rulership. The king's countenance was changed. He was troubled because he was encountering God. He was seeing something written on the wall. And you can imagine how disturbing that would be just naturally, even if you were in the center of God's will and something just started to write on the wall. It would cause me some alarm. But so often man puts out this wise bravado, this boldness, this proudness of how smart and wise they are in their own ways. But when they come and have this direct encounter with God, 
we see they often change. The king's countenance changed, his knees literally knocked. These sailors were greatly afraid they were throwing their belongings into the sea, just trying to preserve their life. All wisdom, power, and strength in this world falls woefully short in the face of God. The king, the ruler of Babylon, was literally and physically having a reaction in the presence of God. These sailors were taking physical action based upon the actions of God. Pilate himself, when he heard Jesus speaking to him, became more afraid. There are times when things are happening around us that cause us to pause and look to something higher. As I witnessed to my dad time and time again, I remember one time he was in the hospital after, after a surgery. I think it was initially when he found out that he had cancer and, and the doctors gave him two months to two years to live. And I was sitting there in the hospital room and for some reason we were alone and witnessing to him. And he started to open up about some times in Vietnam and how he was literally thought he was going to die, sitting in a foxhole. And he said, I didn't know what else to do but pray. And he said, I didn't know who I was praying to. And at this point, my dad was not saved, and he continued to push back against the things of God. But man looks and understands in those moments at times, they realize we are literally out of control. These things are out of our hands. These sailors were at that point in their lives. They were afraid. They thought they were going to die. Again, throwing the things that they needed to survive to make this journey successful, to even get back to shore, they were casting it all aside. And now they came to realize that all this was happening, not just by happenstance, but the one true God, Jehovah, the Almighty, was behind it because Jonah had told him. Again, these men likely had experience. They'd heard of God, I'm sure. In Romans, we read, his invisible attributes are clearly seen by all, so that man is without excuse. They turned to Jonah and exclaimed, why, why have you done this? Why have you brought us in to your troubles? Why did you get us involved in your issues? And it's a good reminder for us that we don't live to ourselves or die to ourselves. At times we have a tremendous impact on those around us, and we can sometimes drag people unwillingly into our issues. I know even just in a natural sense, in a work sense, I've been drug into some issues that I really had no business being involved in, but because somebody decided to drag me into it, I was in the middle of it. Again, Jonah here proclaimed, I am a Hebrew and I serve God. You can imagine that the, the power of those words might have lacked, considering that Jonah was hiding, running, sleeping in the, in the bottom of the ship. Again, it must have seemed hypocritical to those sailors who were asking these questions. And again, it's a, a reminder to us that our actions... Our reactions and our words matter. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian, but if we don't live like it, those around us would have no idea the depths and the truth and the change that it brings in our heart. God was about to do a mighty work in Jonah's life, and he was giving opportunity to these sailors to see that work and to be changed by that work. The sailors looked to Jonah and they said, well, what do we do now? You're the one running from God. What do we do? The sailors seem to be questioning Jonah. I think at this point, as we see, there's a progression of faith in their walk as well. But at this point, it seems that they're asking, what, what do we need to do to make this stop? How do we appease your God to make this stop? And, and we, we see there's not a great depth of understanding yet in their, in their lives. And I think as we go through this, we'll see some progression. They seem to, to want to simply pacify God so that the storm would stop and they could continue on 
their journey or at least get back home. Jonah's answer was, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will be calm for you, for I know this great tempest is because of me. Jonah realizes that what is happening is his fault. He owns up to the consequences, and and I don't think for a moment, as Jonah's saying, throw me into the sea, that he had any inclination that there's a great fish waiting to swallow him up. That's not even crossing his mind, nor the sailor's mind. Jonah thought, in my mind, again, this is just my opinion, that he was going to be thrown to his death, and this was the consequence for his action. Jonah was thinking, let me die that they may live. They had, they had done nothing wrong. And I think Jonah here again, we see this battle within him. We see this struggle that he's going through. Because if he had just been willing to go and preach to Nineveh in the first place, he wouldn't be in the middle of the sea about to be thrown in to his death. Again, you see that struggle. If he just followed the will of God, he wouldn't be in this situation, in this predicament. Jonah seems to be sincere here. He seems to owned up to it. Again, we see that he had explained some things to them. One of the challenges of this book of Jonah, as I said in our opening lesson, is that this is really a masterpiece of condensed narration. There's so much condensed into this short book that there are no doubt details and conversations and things that just aren't recorded for us to know. Jonah, no doubt, was telling them some things as these these conversations were going on. David himself, after numbering the people, cried out to the Lord, Surely he said, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and my father's house. Again, David sinned, he knew, and he was repenting. I believe there is some repentance here on Jonah's part, understanding this is my fault. Throw me into the sea and it will be calm. And just that that phrase alone struck me as I was studying in these last couple days. How did Jonah know that? How did Jonah know that if he was thrown into the sea, that it would become calm? Again, I I wonder, and it's conjecture on my part, so this isn't something I'm saying dogmatically, but I wonder if Jonah, in these struggles, this up and down, this Roman 7 battle that we all go through, that the Lord is still dealing with him in the midst of this storm. And it was encouraging to me that as we struggle in our own lives, as we go through storms in our own life, that the Lord is still there to speak truth to us. Something had spoken to Jonah's heart that the sea was going to be calm as he was thrown in. Again, this condensed narration, I think that Jonah had had shared some things with them, that he had told them who this one true God was that he was fleeing, that he no doubt shared some nuggets of truth with these sailors. Again, that he spoke of him being sacrificed as as a means of appeasing the Lord that they might live. Let's continue on in Jonah now, back in chapter 1. We'll go to verses 13 through 16. In Jonah 1, 13, it says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice of praise to the Lord and took vows. Again, I marvel at the fortitude of these men. Again, Jonah said, the only way to make this stop is to throw me in. Yet they continued to row. 
And some might say, well, they were rowing in rebellion. And I see it a little bit different. I see that they, they had an earnest desire to keep Jonah with them. They didn't want to just throw him into the sea. They didn't want to put him to his death. They tried everything they could. They rowed harder and harder. And, harder. and again, I, I wonder what Jonah must have been thinking when he realized this was all my fault and they were trying to row and do everything they could to save him. I imagine there had to be some conviction that came upon Jonah's heart to think that I'm the cause, I'm the fault of all of this, yet they're still willing to work and save me. Again, these types and pictures that we see through Jonah are are far from perfect, but remember, I see one of the overarching themes of this book of grace. And these unsaved sailors were showing Jonah grace again. It's remarkable to me some of these pictures we see in this book of how God, despite our failures, continues on, continues to give opportunity. But as they soon realized, they could not outrow God. Did I skip ahead? I think I've missed a verse there. But in Proverbs 21, 30, I'll just read it to you really quickly. It says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel that stands against the Lord. Again, row as we might, struggle with all effort as these sailors were. You're not going to outrow God's plan and his purpose. Paul, again, when he was on the road to Damascus, to Damascus and he realized he couldn't kick against the goads. We can't go against God's plan. The respect that these men showed for Jonah was greater than what Israel even showed to the prophets In Matthew, we read, Therefore, indeed, I send prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them will you scourge in the synagogues and persecute. Israel treated God's prophets worse than these sailors treated Jonah. Again, it's sad to me when the world, when the unsaved, act better than the children of God. And again, that's not to say that there aren't decent people, but we know that nothing good in us in our flesh dwells. We've had some good neighbors, especially back when we lived in Colorado. We had great neighbors all around us. I think all but maybe one of them was saved. But they were kind, caring, and truly there was a a neighborly feel. And they would look after your house and give you a cup of sugar. I mean, literally these things. It was just a tremendous group of people that lived around us. But it was all for not. I mean, good being good, again, I'd rather have good neighbors than bad neighbors. But outside of... Truly yielding and surrendering lives to the Lord, nothing good is there. The only good, the only joy, the only thing lasting that comes is when we surrender to the Lord. Again, our testimony matters. Jonah's testimony here was lacking. We need to show love, joy, and peace that comes from being a child of God, even if it's something that we don't want to do. We understand Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Yet he could have shown, he could have made different choices that would have been a better reflection of God's grace and power and strength to him. Despite their efforts, they come to realize they have no choice but to throw Jonah into the sea. God was showing that trying to save yourself, trying to do the work all by yourself with your own oars and rowing is vain. No matter how hard you try or how good you try to behave, again, we can think of the law, In keeping that, you cannot justify yourself by your actions and by your goodness of trying to be upright. Every effort to save themselves to this point was vain. And they had come to the realization that they had to listen to Jonah and throw him in to the sea. Caiaphas, as sitting as high priest, spoke these words. He said, "Nor, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Again, so many pictures here 
in the book of Jonah, we see where one dying for many brings about salvation, brings about peace. Again, some of these pictures are not perfect, but we see throughout these illustrations, and we'll get to them more as we get into chapters 2 and 3. These sailors cried out again, and this time they cried out and said it to their gods, as we read earlier in chapter 1. They, they were all crying to their gods, looking for any means of help and salvation. This time they cried out to the Lord, to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the self-existent one whom Jonah had just told them about. We read that. We can see here that they are learning through this experience who God is, what his grace means. There's still some uncertainty in their words, but they had already come to this realization that the gods they were crying out to earlier were powerless, were silent. We see here they're beginning to recognize that Jonah's God is the one true God. We see this progression of faith, and as you witness to people through your life, maybe you've seen this too, where, where you initially talk to somebody and they, they maybe they flat out reject, maybe they push you away, and as you begin to talk to them, as you begin to live a testimony in front of them, that there's a change there and there's some understanding there. There's some growing in that understanding of who you're telling them about. And we see that the Lord works through that all, that his spirit convicts men of sin, convicts them of his truth. These sailors cried out and said, do not charge us with innocent blood. They appear to have a perspective on life and death. They, they have a value of life. They, they're trying everything they can to not just discard Jonah, to throw him into the sea. And we can contrast these sailors with Pilate. Let's turn over to Matthew 27. In verses 24 through 26, where we see here a contrast to these sailors' action in Matthew 27 and verse 24. In verse 24, it says, When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all against those who were crying out against him, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hand before the multitude, saying, I am innocent in the blood of this just person, you see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood pee upon us and our children. Then they released Barabbas to them. And when he had scorched Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Again, these sailors cried out to the Lord, Do not let his blood be upon us. They had tried everything they could to preserve Jonah's life. And we see that in Pilate, who really had the power from a judicial standpoint to preserve Jesus' life. We know that it was not the Lord's will for that to occur But he could have, by his position, by his power, have done something else besides just say, I wash my hands of this. You guys do as you will. Again, probably the biggest cop-out of all time to say that I can't do anything. This man, I'm washing my hands of this, and you guys deal with it. Again, we won't get into that, that piece of the story and that sham of a trial that was given. Pilate's duty was to uphold the law and him himself serve justly. And Pilate failed miserably. These sailors, unskilled in the law or men of prestige and power like Pilate was, did a far superior job of valuing human life and trying to do the right thing. In both cases, the Lord's will was accomplished nonetheless. The sailors continued on. Again, they recognized who the Lord is. And they proclaimed, they said, you have done as you have pleased. And we we throw Jonah into the sea because we understand this is your purpose and your plan. In Psalms 135, we see some understanding. Again, I don't know how much Jonah shared with them, but there's some understanding of what and who God is. In Psalms 135, 
Verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and the Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Again, sweet words there, really, when you understand the providence and the power of the Almighty God, of how he was working these things. The Lord does as he pleases, and he doesn't just do it for vain pleasure, for satisfaction of his own desires. He does it not selfishly, but righteously. Again, we understand even in this this psalm here we read that the seas and all the deep places are under his control. The sailors are experiencing that firsthand, that the seas are under his control. The wind, the tempest that is blowing, comes from his treasuries. Again, for us to just pause and reflect for a moment, when the storms of life are blowing around us, that those storms come out of the treasuries of the Almighty. That he has a plan and a purpose in what he is doing in our lives should bring reassurance, not always at ease to the trial or at ease to the pain, but understanding that the Lord works according to his counsel. In Ephesians, he tells us that, that he works according to the good pleasure that he purposed in himself, that we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the sailors are coming to this realization of who the Almighty God is, and they pick Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Again, they threw him into the sea. I can imagine, I can't imagine actually, what that must have, that experience must have been. Again, that, that's trauma. I mean, that you're literally picking somebody up and throwing them to their depth, to their death, into the depths of the sea. That's a traumatic experience to kill somebody. I've never killed anybody, but I can imagine taking someone's life is, is something that is not going to just vaporize from your memory. It's going to be something you carry with you. And then to see and experience that, and then to see that this storm was growing worse and worse and worse, leading him up to this point of throwing Jonah into the sea, just became completely calm. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. I, I, I read it and try to put myself in this, this understanding to see we were in the, the deepest of storms, but this death made everything better. Again, we can think of Jesus himself, who became a propitiation for our sin, not just for ours, but for the entire world, that atonement, the appeasing of God, the just wrath of God satisfied at the death of Jesus brought great peace and stillness into our lives. And when you look at still water, there's a peacefulness to it. And no doubt there was a peace, a quietness that came after this raging storm just stopped. Again, we look at what the Lord was doing. We look at who the Lord was. The one who rules the raging sea when its waves rise, you still them. In Psalms 107.29, we read, He calms the storm so that its waves are still. The disciples out in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus came and said, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds. And the sea became calm, and they marveled. They marveled and said, Who could this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? I pray that as we read this, as we see the Almighty calms the storms, that the storms themselves come from the Lord. They are at his working according to the counsel of his will. I pray that it brings peace and calmness in our hearts, that we remember that the Lord, the Lord protects us, that the angel of the Lord encamps around about us, around about those who fear him. 
In verse 16, that says, the men feared exceedingly. And again, that's, that's great contrast with what we read a moment ago. When we started this lesson this morning, we understood and read, the men were exceedingly afraid. And now we read that they feared the Lord exceedingly. What a flip of where they were in their lives. God spares those who call upon them, upon him in faith. He shows his grace. This truth is being illustrated in the case of the sailors right before our eyes. As we'll see shortly, we'll see that grace growing and changing Jonah. And then lastly, we'll see that grace working in Nineveh. God shows his power. He reveals himself and gives opportunity for us to grow in our faith and for us to come to know him. It says that they feared the Lord. From our account, we see that there's been a growth in who these sailors were and their understanding from crying out to false gods to understanding that the Lord had a plan, that he was the one behind this storm, to now fearing him exceedingly. We see a, a similar account, and we'll wrap up here this morning in Daniel 4, with Nebuchadnezzar, again, one who had everything, his kingdom, and he looked out at Babylon and thought, how great is Babylon? And we know that the Lord humbled Nebuchadnezzar. But we see some familiarity in Nebuchadnezzar's words compared to the sailors. And we'll just pick up here. Again, we'll drop in at, at, let's see, at verse 35. Nebuchadnezzar has lifted his, his eyes to the Lord and was proclaiming these words, saying, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will. Again, compare that to what the sailors cried out. Lord, you have done as you pleased. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that too. You do according to your will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain your hand. The sailors realized that and experienced it firsthand. Or say to him, what have you done? And Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned to him and the glory of his kingdom, his honor, his splendor returned to him. Again, Nebuchadnezzar had a humbling experience before the Lord. He understood that he does as, his please, as he pleases and according to his will. Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride and arrogance, but the Lord got hold of him. These sailors, too, were very good at their trade. No doubt they, were, they knew what to do to survive the storm, yet they realized this is too big for us, too great for us. They were given an extreme opportunity, and it appears they took advantage. They changed they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They had experienced the power of God and seen this raging storm cease before their eyes. Whatever Jonah had said to them in those conversations preceding his death, the Lord made real to their hearts. We, we don't hear about them really after this account, but at face value it seems like they became followers of the Lord. Their account and their experience no doubt affected others. I would imagine when they made it, made it home, they shared this story. They shared this account. God doesn't miss the opportunity. He gives opportunity for others to experience his grace. Again, we have opportunity in our own lives to just do that in our living, in our testimony, in our walk. We don't have to rebel and flee the Lord. Again, Brother David brought this up in his own study, that if we rebel and good comes from it, that's no credit to us. That's a credit to the grace of God. And I read this quote, and I don't know who wrote it, but it says, to do evil that good may come is a policy which can only come from our enemy. But from evil already done to extract an instrument of redemption against the kingdom of darkness is a triumphant display of the grace and wisdom of God. We'll leave it there and pick up next week.